So I'm, gonna, I'm going to begin this morning with a funny story. I know, shocker. I never do that. So one thing that Scott and I and other pastors, uh, one perk of our job is that we often get invited to um, lunches and dinners and events around the city. A lot of people like to invite us uh, to hear about different organizations, and so we learn about things like project transformation. Uh, we learn about um, stuff like a North Dallas Shared Ministries uh, Rays of Light, which is here on our own campus, and um, this past week, Kay and I got invited to a lunch uh, to talk about an orphan organization that someone, a couple people in our Thrive are actually really involved with. And so we get invited to these, and so it was this past Thursday, and um, Thursday morning, I thought, okay, um, I guess I'll take my car, and then Scott, he'll come later with his car, um, and I'll just ride with Kay to the lunch. Now, the reason this is important is because uh, most lunches we go to different things, there's usually valet. And uh, so I'm looking at my car. Um, If any of you know what car I drive, um, I'm looking at the inside of it. I'm like, okay, I've got uh, eight pairs of, like, Andy's shoes because she always, like, rips them off. I've got, like, Tupperware and Kay's Crock-Pot and um, Andy's Gingerbread House from Advent Workshop over a week ago in my front seat. I'm like, but it's fine, because I'm just going to ride with Kay. So Kay texted me. She said, hey, my meeting's running late. You go on ahead. I was like, oh, gosh. So I pull up to a country club in my car, and I'm like, oh, I hate this. It's so embarrassing. And I realize it's a first-world problem, okay? I have a car. It works just fine. I understand it. But as I pull up, I see all the valet people give each other that look, like, Who's going to take it? Who's going to take the car? I'm like, oh, this is the worst. So they get in, and I run in. I'm like, okay, it's not that bad. And then I remember that when the event lets out, that everyone is going to be outside, right? So if you guys have seen the movie Bridesmaids, you know, when she pulls up in her really awful car, I think we have a picture. Like, this is me. This is my life when I go to places. Like, oh, my gosh. And so uh, as we're leaving, you know, it's really cold on Thursday, and I'm thinking, this is fine. It's fine. Okay, sure, there goes the Land Rover and the Jaguar and the Mercedes. It's fine. It's fine. It's my 2009 Honda Red Fit uh, with uh, duct tape and two spots, uh, a part missing. Uh, my bumper is on with zip ties. Um, it's fine. It's fine. So I'm eyeing, and I see it coming around the corner in the big line, and I'm like, okay, it's fine. And then one of those stupid Teslas pulls up, Okay. Have you seen this? It's like a freaking Batmobile, okay? So it's like the doors open and uh, people get in the car and I'm like, cool. So I'm like, I'm just going to run to my car because I don't want people to see. So I'm like running through the line to get in my car and zip out so like no one sees me. And so, you know, in that moment, I'm texting Scott saying some things that are not appropriate to say from the pulpit. Um, then I'm just angry, and I'm just like, this is so frustrating and embarrassing, and it's fine, and I know I'm a Grinch about this. And I think there's these moments where we can be such a Grinch about sometimes small and petty things, and then there's some moments where um, we're allowed to be a Grinch. Um, and so I started thinking about this message of, of Christmas and, and Advent and different things, and um, I am going to talk about that. I will eventually get to that. Um, But I'm actually going to start with a psalm. It's Psalm 88, which has been noted as the most depressing, sad psalm ever. And I I want you to to listen to it uh, this morning. 
as I read. O Lord, God of my salvation, when at night I cry out in your presence, let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like those who have no help, like those forsaken among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with, it, with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a thing of horror to them. I'm shut in so I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call on you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the shades rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave um, or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your saving help in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry out to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast me off? Why do you hide your face from me? Wretched and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your tears. I am desperate. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dread assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. From all sides they close in on me. You have caused friend and neighbor to shun me. My companions are in darkness. In one version, that last line says, darkness is my only friend. And I, and I read that, and some of you are like, oh man, God, lighten up a little bit. Like, what's your deal? Answer this person's prayer. But I, I read it as someone who's a Grinch, who's a little overdramatic, like an angsty teen when they're like, oh, Darkness is my only friend, you know, and I think about this, um, about how we can be so unbearable to be around at times, like everything is terrible, and it reminded me of a character on Saturday Night Live, Debbie Downer, I don't know if you guys remember her, short-lived character, but hysterical, who could bring down any party, any event, right? I mean, we all have friends like that, right, where you're making a guest list, and you're like, well, let's talk about who we're not going to invite. We're definitely not going to invite that person because they're terrible, right? It's like, oh, Jim, he's so awful. And you think, well, Susan's terrible. Let's, let's get them together, and then they can go off, and then we can ignore them, right? And that's how I start to think, like, how can I get them connected with someone else who's terrible so they can leave me alone, right? Like, our, um, what we first, our first inclination is, okay, how can I get away from people like that, those grinchy people, and so we're tempted to move away from those people. We want to distance ourselves. And some of you have every right um, maybe to be a Grinch. Maybe you're like, well, I kind of feel like a Grinch. And I feel like we, I, I need to say this before we go in anymore, is that some of you have every right to be angry, to be um, sad, to be um, just almost, I hate to say, like hard to be around, but you're really not, because you've had awful years. You had an awful year. And I think sometimes um, as Christians, we're like, well, just, just feel better. Like, just pray about it. Just love Jesus more and you'll be fine. And I think we need to create space for people that have had a hard year and say, yeah, it's okay that you feel that way. But it's important how we interact with those people and how we move toward those people. And I'll, I'll get to that, to that in a little bit. But I want to talk about how we can create space for those grinchy people 
in our life, what we can learn from Scripture. And so actually, I'm going to look at the story of Moses and the Israelites, which again, I know it's not very Christmassy, not very Adventy, but I think it's really important. So those of you um, that maybe aren't familiar with the story or need to revisit it, so Moses um, grows up in, in Pharaoh's house. Uh, he sees Pharaoh's army, um, some men treating the Hebrew slaves poorly, and so then Moses kills someone, and then he gets scared, so he needs to flee because he knows Pharaoh wants to kill him. So he flees away, he wants to forget his past, and then we know that God calls him through a burning bush. Like, I need you to go back. I need you to go back and free these people. Okay, fine. He's not super happy about it. But he goes back, he talks to Pharaoh. Um, You know, Pharaoh refuses time and time again. There's all these plagues and different things. And then eventually Pharaoh uh, says, okay, fine. And so um, Moses frees these slaves that they have been in slavery forever, forever. They've been slaves forever. And they're crossing the Red Sea. You know, God has parted the waters. They, they come across. Pharaoh's army then is charging behind them. And then the waters collapse and the army is taken. So we know that, oh my gosh, Moses, you have done so much for these people. And then we read that these people that were slaves turn on them. Like, they become grinchy, right? And so I want to I wanna read just a couple things that they do. I found in the book of Numbers, number 11, Numbers 11, which I know you all have memorized, so I don't even know why uh, I'm talking, because I know you guys love Numbers, just can't get enough of it. Um, but here, so 11.1, I'm going to go quickly through this. Now, when the people complained in hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, the Lord heard it and that his anger was kindled. Then the fire of the Lord burned against them. Ooh, tell your kids that when they're complaining. Just be like, sometimes God sends fires down, okay? Um, so stop complaining. Um, and then you read on, and they're, they're complaining about, you know, oh, we had meat. If only we had meat to eat in Egypt. It was so great. Remember the fish we used to eat in Egypt? For nothing, it was free. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. So they keep just getting more and more distraught. And they talk about the manna, which I'm pretty sure is something you eat on Whole30, so it's terrible. It's (laughs) awful. It's not good. Um, And they go on, and they get so angry. Like, they, they complain about water. They're like, oh, I wish I was back in Egypt. Or, I wish we had a different leader. Like, they are so ungrateful. They are terrible to be around. And Moses, and rightly so, does get angry. You read that he gets very frustrated at a point where he says, God, if this is how it's going to be, just kill me. Like, I'm done with these people. So they're grinchy. And yet, we read that Moses, after these people have been so ungrateful to him, so awful. He does a few different things. When they're complaining and God sends that fire down, Moses prays and says, God, please stop. Forgive them. And the fire stops. Or um, his brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, are, are complaining to God. And so then um, his sister develops leprosy. And so then, and then Moses prays on her behalf to say, please heal her. Really? I've been like, sorry, that's your deal. Like, should have known better. But Moses is like, praise. And then when they have unbelief, Moses prays on their behalf, like, God, help their unbelief. Or better yet, 
uh, when they make that gold calf, do you remember that part of the story? Um, after they've known, like, have no idols, all that, the Ten Commandments, they make this golden calf, okay? And Moses, Moses, who has freed these slaves, has done all this stuff, and these people are awful and ungrateful. He goes up to a mountain for 40 days, okay? And says he lays prostrate, which means to lay face down. I know you all can't see me. But he lays down and prays on their behalf for 40 days, okay? 40 days. Like, he is so distraught about them. He feels for them, and he continually moves and speaks on their behalf. Moses, y'all, is like a saint, okay? Because, again, if I was Moses, I would have given up and said, peace out. You are, you are on your own. I cannot bear to be with you for one more day. I love this story. I love that Moses teaches us, um, and ultimately that God, that God will often ask us to move closer when we want to move further away. When we're tempted to give up, to move away, God says, no, I need you to come closer. I need you to move in, which is really, really hard to do because um, our sinful, our selfish, you know, all of that, we say, no, no. And God says, nope, I need you to get closer. I need you to forgive. I need you to love. I need to do all that you can. I need you to represent my love and my care for this people, even though they're very, very difficult, even when they're being a Grinch. And it is hard. I understand it's hard to move. But um, for those of you that um, are teachers or have worked with kids um, in any capacity, um, you know that when you have a, usually a problem kid, um, usually there's a reason why, right? People are said, okay, well, what's their home life like? You try to find out what is causing them to, to act out in this way. What, what is making them so difficult? And often you find out maybe their parents are going through divorce or there's a job loss or there's just a lot of stress in the home that's, that's creating them to act out. So we, we can have compassion for kids and try to work with them, but when it comes to adults, we forget that some kids don't, um, adults grow up and they're still carrying those wounds and that pain, and so they appear to be a Grinch, but they've got all this woundedness within them. And so I'm reminded that I need um, to have compassion and forgiveness for them too. And so <clears throat> I hope that we um, can be people that are understanding and forgiving and that we can move towards people. I was reading this article, too, recently that some, one of you might have posted on Facebook about when toddlers are having tantrums, um, that that's the time that you move closer to them. So clearly the author does not have a toddler, um, <laughs> because you would not say that. But I started thinking about that, and I'm like, you know, that's kind of right. Like, they can't express their emotions, really. They can't, or they can't talk. They can't express what they're, um, what they're feeling, and so there are ways to act out. And, and it's hard to, to stop. I know when Andy does it, I'm not going to be like, okay, hey, baby girl, how are you? What can I do for you? Like, no, because I'd have to, like, get up or something and talk to her. Um, but it, it reminds me of that. That's how our God is. When we're stressed out, when we're doing hard things, that God doesn't say, hey, how's it going over there? How are you? That, no, God gets down and talks to us. Like we should talk to children when they're having a hard time. 
So that picture has stuck with me. So one reason that um, many of you have been involved in this marriage ministry that I started is because I'm looking at all these circumstances and all these situations that are difficult. When we're encountering difficult people, when we're inclined to move away, we don't want to stop and pause and talk to our spouse and say, hey, what's really going on here? Well, how can I help you? How can I pray for you? How can I love you better? Often, um, there are situations where we get really, we become, both become difficult, and instead of moving towards one another, we want to move away. And I know there's instances where you do need to move away. There's, it's very unhealthy. It's not safe. I'm not talking about those situations. But often enough, um, we want to avoid, or we want to give up, or we want to ignore when God is saying, no, I need you to move closer, actually. And so I, I see that need, and so that's why I'm trying to create this, this ministry where people, we can help you all move closer to one another so you can have stronger and healthier marriages. Because marriage is tough, because you encounter difficult things, and you can sometimes become difficult. Um, but I want to help you all um, be the best versions of yourself. So um, I've been thinking that why this isn't so important is because if we have trouble moving towards people we love that are difficult, how are we supposed to move towards the rest of the world that is difficult? Because we all know we encounter very difficult, horrible people a lot. Um, and if we can't even take the time to move towards people we love, how can we move towards those Grinches that we, that we encounter in life, whether it's coworkers or maybe extended family or acquaintances or just people we see in a checkout line? Um, how can we be people that move towards? Um, now, early... Earlier, I talked about people that, um, they're not Grinches. I want to be clear, they're not Grinches, but they've had a hard year. And our tendency is to sometimes say, well, I, I don't know what to say to them. Or I don't know what to do. I'm really uncomfortable. So again, instead of moving closer, we move away. And let me tell you how that plays out when we do that. So a few weeks ago, I had coffee with um, a church member who hasn't been coming around in a while. Um, he had gone through some really hard stuff the last 12 to 18 months, and I knew about it. I knew about every single thing that he was going through, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't call. I didn't text. I didn't try to get with him. I knew of it. I talked to other people about that for kind of in his life, but I didn't reach out to the person. I moved further away. <clears throat> and so I finally texted him, and I met with him, and I sat down, and I looked him in the face, and I said, I'm so sorry. I need your forgiveness because I knew you were going through all this, and I didn't reach out. And he kind of had tears in his eyes, and he said, well, thank you. He's like, but yeah, it was really hard. I felt completely abandoned from the church. No one reached out. I felt so alone. And I just had to sit there and realize I failed him as a pastor. I failed him as a friend. I failed him as a Christian. And that's why it's so important to move toward people and their pain, and their suffering. Even when it's hard and you don't feel like you have anything to offer, you do. Because you have the capacity to love. You have the capacity to care because God works 
through you. And we're moving into this season, this Advent season, this Christmas season that's supposed to be joyful and light and exciting. And some people are limping into this season because of things they've gone through. And this is our opportunity as Christians to reach out to them. And it can be simple, y'all. It can say, hey, um, Emporium Pie has a new peppermint pie. It's, that's fact. Um, you call and, hey, you want to go get a slice? Or go get a fun holiday drink? Or invite them over to watch a Christmas movie? Or go look at Christmas lights together? Or maybe they don't have a place to spend Christmas Eve. We've got a lot of services. Invite them to Christmas Eve. Invite them into your home for Christmas Day. We need to reach out. We have to move toward people because there's people that are suffering, that are in pain, and feel very alone. And God says, I need you to move closer to them. I need you to move closer to them. So how about these Grinches, though, the people that are really hard to move towards? Um, We're not off the hook with them either. It's easier to move towards people that maybe are having a hard time, but the people that are difficult, ugh, how do you do that? Um, Some people that are like that are very aware that no one likes to be around them. A lot of people do feel like they're a burden, um, that they're a pain. And that's a hard place to feel. It's a hard place to be when you feel like, gosh, no one really wants to be around me. They're only inviting me because they have to. I started thinking about that Psalm 88. And then I read this line in this book I'm reading called A Bigger Table, which I highly recommend to all of you. And in this book, it talks about, it says, that we can hoard the grace and love of God. We use it up and forget to hand it out. And so people who feel rejected, those people that feel rejected, that feel like they're a burden, that feel like no one wants to be around them, people that are a Grinch, when they're actually met with grace and love, when instead of when they walk in the room, instead of us going, we can do it like this and smile and receive them with joy and excitement, something changes in them, something beautiful can happen. And like that movie, The Grinch, their heart can actually start to expand. But we have to be willing to open our arms up and love people and move toward them. So after uh, Moses, if you continue to read, if you're familiar with this book, um, when you continue to read, you see difficult people time and time again, over and over again. They're ungrateful, they're selfish, they're mean, they're angry, they're sinful, and they continually reject God over and over and over and over and over again. And God, rightly so, does get angry. He does. And you read through it and you think, gosh, this doesn't look good for us. This does not look good. This does, and so you read and you read and you close in Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. And then you open to the Gospel of Matthew. And in it, you see a genealogy. And I think um, we have it on screen. Matthew 1. And so keep going, just keep scrolling through. And so you'll see a lot of names. 
Some look familiar, some are not. And I look at this list, and I realize some of these people were probably difficult. The people that they um, ruled over or encountered were difficult and sinful and angry. And then you can stop, Jake. I read it, and in between all those people, I feel like I hear God saying, let's get closer. Let's get closer and closer and closer and closer to the people until we stumble upon verse 16. And it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So I started thinking about that. <clears throat> Those of you that have had a, a baby or been in the room when a baby is born, I want you to go back to that moment. And when the baby is brought to the mother and laid on the chest for the first time, there is nothing like that feeling. Absolutely nothing. And I think about this story um, leading up to this moment that we rejected God so much and he continued to move closer to us until finally the baby was laid. Jesus the Christ, the Savior of the world, was laid on Mary's chest, and that's when God said, oh, there it is. That's how close I want to be to you. And um, we didn't deserve that at all, and that's what we got. And so as we move into this Advent um, season and Christmas and you live all your days, I want you to think about how God wants to be this close to us. He wasn't going to settle till he was this close, till he was with us. And that our role is to be that close to people so we can be the Christ to them. And so I don't want you to forget this story this Christmas story and what it really means, that love was brought to us in such a new and radical way and that God will always choose closer no matter what. Let's pray. God, thank you for reminding us that the only place you want to be is right next to us where you can feel our heartbeat, where you can smell us. <laughs> That's where you desire to be. And that we need to be people that come close to you and come close to your people time and time again, no matter how difficult they may be. But that's exactly where we need to be. Thank you for your son what he means for all of us. That's in your name. Amen.